Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott will kind of be alongside as usual as we are here wrapping up 2021 in the world of Game of Stones and the world of curling more broadly. As here we are on December the 30th, 2021. And we thought to wrap up what has been, to say the least, uneventful year in the world of curling we would look back on some of our favorite moments of the year scott and i were talking over the last couple weeks trying to come up with some of the moments that we really enjoyed talking about on the show things that came up somewhat organically that we wanted to include here in a, a bit of a recap best of the year to celebrate what has been a challenging year we know all around in the sport challenging for us as well uh, but we thought it'd be fun to look back at uh, some of the moments that brought smiles to our respective faces and hopefully uh, brought you uh, some smiles as well so we've selected some moments from across the year that we wanted to revisit that were fun or illuminating insightful we felt for us to look back upon here at the end of the years and first up is an episode that was one of my favorite, if not my favorite one, to produce during the year. It's because it fits into what I do for a living. I am a historian by training. So in the summer, we went back and looked at some of the innovations in the history of curling and how some of them go against the idea of the spirit of curling and were very criticized at the time, whereas other major interventions were not. They were just widely accepted pretty much immediately. And one of the most fundamental parts of the sport early on was heavily criticized for not being part of the spirit of curling. And that was the simple act of putting a rotation on your stone and getting curl on the rock. This was heavily criticized when this strategy was first used. So we went back and looked at why was that the case and how does this fit in to the idea of the spirit of curling? Here's an example of a basic thing to the sport that was very controversial at the time and uh, apparently led to some fisticuffs. So, yeah. So, so what is that, Sean? So this is the development of the in and the out turn, which, right, very basic to the sport now. Yeah. It's just, you have to do one or the other, right? Yeah, it's the rotation on the stone. But early on in curling, 16th, 17th century, the idea or the goal would be to just throw a straight stone. And there are, are sources that indicate that your quality as a player was judged entirely on how straight your stone went. And mm. if it actually moved a bit, that was deemed as not ideal and it, it lessened your stock as a player. Okay, really? So players in Fennec in the late 1700s discovered that if you put a rotation on the handle, if you turned the handle of the stone, you could get around an opposition rock, as you see now, as is kind of the whole point of the modern game. <laughs> yeah. But this create, caused a stir amongst the opponents and people from other places than Fennec 
who felt that this went against the spirit of the game. And the argument, again, was that the, the sport was dependent on being a straight shooter. And I think that's probably also symbolic. You know, you're a straight mm-hmm. shooter. And so bending around, coming around, that that was deemed to be perhaps not manly if you go to that Montreal, Royal Montreal saying. But it was so successful that other players started to learn the technique and that even though it was deemed kind of against the spirit, it was just so good and so effective that you had to use it. So there, there, now there's another account as to when this happened. Uh, there's, a, there's an account saying it happened in 1806 by William Bell, who played at the Bucking Club in the early part of the uh, 19th century. And that players from that club became successful. Now, there's doubt on both of these accounts Mm. uh, as to when these actually occurred and what was the first. But the thing that is absolutely certain is that before the 18th century, the key to success in this sport was throwing the stone straight. Right. So this is this is uh, an example of something where someone found, for lack of a better word, a loophole to be able to play the game in a diff- a totally different way, but that gave them such a huge advantage over their opponents, right? Right. Well, there's no rule against it. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, I, w- I would assume then people would try to be throwing it straight. And if they put too much turn on it by accident, it would go to the sides and thus not be a very good shot. And then this team decided, hey, why don't we aim for the outside? Right. And try to make it curl towards the middle. Yep. And uh, that's like a eureka moment. Yeah, and it worked, right? And, mm-hmm. and and it's interesting, too, to think about this, that, well, why is it called curling then? Um, right. 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 So so that's part of the doubt on some of these stories. And there's a poem from 1620 by Henry Adamson that uses the word curling in it. And I think one of the theories is that the word curling was almost used as, a, as an insult. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that rocked, it curled. Because you didn't throw it very well. Yeah. Right. Ugh, look at these guys curling, curling all over here. Yeah. Can't throw it straight like a real man. <laughs> so, so of course, now that that's absurd. The whole point of the sport is to put a turn on it. If you try to throw an, a, a knuckle stone, in essence, mm-hmm. with no turn, really, the, the stones, modern stones, they're just going to pick up a turn. Now, 2021 was very difficult for a lot of reasons. Uh, major changes in the sport. One of... The biggest, potentially, is the fact that the Pacific Asia Curling Championship and the America's Challenge are being combined into a singular event. So this fall was the final edition of the Pacific Asia Curling Championship. It was held over in Kazakhstan, and we were fortunate enough to be joined by our friend Jason Chang, the skip of the Hong Kong men's curling team. From Kazakhstan, from Almaty, Kazakhstan, right before the event kicked off. And he talked about why the Pacific Asia Curling Championship was so important and its significance to him and his team. The switch will happen uh, starting next season. It was just voted on at the annual Congress. This season had fairly overwhelming support from member associations across the world voting in favor of the creation of the Pan-Continental. For us in Hong Kong, we're kind of... we, we love the Pacific Championships. Um, it's got a great regional identity. Um, for us, uh, it's, a, it's a very eclectic group of uh, nations as well that spans from 
Africa, to the Middle East, to, to Asia and the interior of Asia, and then to the South Pacific as well, right, with Australia and New Zealand. So it's a, it's a really fun event uh, in that way. And we also, for Hong Kong's, you know, whole marketing purposes, the, the Pacific Asia's has a bit of a ring or cachet to it. If you say Pacific Asia Championships locally in Hong Kong, people understand that that means a big deal, right? Because there's Pacific Championships or Asia Championships in many, many sports. Uh, but I'm not sure if there's a pan-continental championship in many sports. So maybe the, the communication with our local media and the local fans in Hong Kong and just the local people in general needs to, needs, we need to find a way to communicate how important this new competition is. And we, and we think that it might be a little bit more difficult to communicate than this current um, Pacific champion, Asia championships. Now, one of the teams that was not there in Almaty for the Pacific Asia curling championships was Australia. They did not participate this year. But that does not mean that Australia did not have a good year overall in the world of curling. Of course, they qualified for the Olympic Games in Beijing in mixed doubles. And we make predictions on this show a lot, mostly in the form of picks. And if you're familiar with our bad beer bet with Rocks Across the Pond, they won because they were better at making the picks than we were. Uh, We do keep track of the picks and we try to keep ourselves honest when we're wrong which is regularly. But if you roll back to last January, our very first episode of 2021, we made some bold predictions for 2021. And Scott got one right. Mixed doubles at the Olympics will be going from eight teams to 10 teams in 2022. Okay. So obviously we're going to get two new nations that weren't there uh, in, in 2018. Uh, But my big prediction is that one of those nations is going to be from a non-traditional curling power. Okay. All right. Do you want to take a shot at which non-traditional curling power that will be? So my, I don't really want to, but um, (laughs) I'll I'll put it between uh, two different nations right now. And that will be either, Australia or Hungary? Okay. I think Hungary is probably a safer choice. So I'm looking at the world rankings by association right now, and Hungary is 15, and they've dropped six slots. Yeah. Since whenever they the last made one the was. playoffs at, at a mixed doubles at least, and probably have won a game or two in the playoffs. And they've got uh, the number six ranked team in the world and the number 13 in mixed doubles. Okay, so, so this is no longer a bold prediction. Well, if they're at 15th in the world rankings right now. Yeah, but it, they have a team tough. that's 6th and a team that's 13th. Well, you know, they still got to perform at the, uh, the right time. It's not, a, it's not a gimme. But a non-traditional curling power nation, you know, something somebody that we haven't seen at every men's and women's worlds. Right. Or, or even a few, right? So For sure. that's that's my prediction. Now, in addition to all the action on the ice, 2021 also saw some progression in the movement towards equity for curling. A lot of great work being done by the people with DEI. Our our friend Andrew Paris is involved in a lot of that. There is a lot of great work being done in the world of curling towards greater equity, towards greater inclusion, and having more and more folks feel comfortable coming into the sport. Uh, We were fortunate enough over the course of the year to have some discussions 
in this vein. So I wanted to combine some of those clips here. Uh, first up, we have Greg Smith, who, of course, skipped Newfoundland and Labrador at this year's Briar, talking about his experience as an LGBTQ2 plus curler at the highest level, some of his experiences and, and whether or not the sport has been welcoming and inclusive to him. We were also joined this summer by Elena Stern, now retired, former skip of a Swiss women's team. She was part of the campaign in Switzerland, which was having a referendum on same-sex marriage. It was a law that had been passed, but a group had gotten enough signatures to push it towards a national referendum. I am pleased to report that the referendum was successful and same-sex marriage remains legal in Switzerland. So that was wonderful news when we saw that in the fall. And then during the bubble, we were joined by Catherine Henderson, CEO of Curling Canada, to talk about their new program for diversity and inclusivity in curling. This was a multi-year project by Curling Canada, and they finally put out the results of that project, a bit of a framework for them to work towards and for member associations and for local community organizations uh, to use. There's a lot of resources there that you could use uh, locally from Curling Canada to encourage greater diversity, to make your curling setting more inclusive. So we had the opportunity to talk with Catherine Henderson all about what Curling Canada is doing. So here they are, Greg Smith, Elena Stern, Catherine Henderson, talking about diversity, inclusivity, and curling. Well, first I want to say that there's a ton of queer people at the high level of curling, and it is incredible to see. And uh, so we, we haven't been held back in any way, shape, or form there, which is great. But uh, I think, like I said, I think with, with Devin, I think that for me, I haven't really faced it uh, by curlers directly. Maybe, you know, sometimes I've been underestimated and they use the kind of the queer guys as that. And they thought, oh, you know, this is just whatever. But, uh, or kind of kind of pin that then, I guess, on my flamboyancy. But I mean, I couldn't tone that down if I tried, God damn it, right? I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> I just, I'm all go. But uh, I think that that might be it. I think for me personally, I might have been underestimated. And then, you know, I'd probably beat them, hopefully, or bet them. I don't know what, what Newfoundland can't speak English, right? <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I haven't dealt with it a lot. I know that there is a lot at the high level, and I think that is important. I'm glad that, you know, some of us and a lot of us are visible about that and open and transparent about that because that is only going to uh, pay dividends for young queer athletes, not even just in curling, but in general. I know that uh, there's been some really lovely messages that's been sent to me on Facebook by moms here in Newfoundland, Labrador, and uh, I, I I got emotional by it. And I, I'm glad that I was able to have some level of an impact on them and on their kids. Yeah, I think curling in general is a very fair and welcoming sport. And it also shows in how they welcome people or how they welcome diversity in sport. And um, yeah, I think a lot of equality is already established and also between men and women, I think. Um, it's still something maybe people gossip about and it's something worth talking about, but I don't think that's necessarily curling itself. That's just in general, it's still a huge thing. Like if someone comes out um, as gay or as lesbian, it's a huge thing and people talk about, it's worth mentioning. So we're not quite at the point yet where um, it doesn't really matter who you love. 
Mm. Um, but however, I, I really think uh, if we keep working on this and keep improving and keep talking about it, it's, that will definitely help. But I think curling, also as Greg says, things are getting better and things are on a pretty good level already. Like I never, I was never really out while I was an active like curling player at the elite level. So I can't really talk from experience, but from what I'm seeing I never experienced or saw someone really, um, you know, being discriminated because of that. Not obviously. Um, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the panel I was uh, yep. on a few months ago. I mean, we heard stories there of people really um, struggling with that. So it happens. But yeah, as long as we keep talking about it, improving, I think that's the most important thing. Of all the people that I've met in curling, you know, everyone's welcome. We're always trying to figure out, you know, how do we get little rockers, you know, young people to play? How do you get teenagers to play? Uh, and so it's not just the, 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 the ways that we adapt the sport and that we adapt the implements and we adapt the, the rules uh, to play. Um, we also we create different um, disciplines and different variants and things like that. So that the whole idea is uh, if you want to play in a mixed team, you want to play on, um, you know, a, a you want to play uh, doubles, you want to play with young people, we can figure that out with you. And so uh, it's one of the most community-based sports in which the conversation about, you know, who wants to curl is just forefront. And, and there's always people innovating and always people trying to think about how do we bring in as many people as we can possibly. I think, though, you know, as we, as it, you know, it started probably last March, April, May, as we started to look at the Black Lives Matter movement, we started to look at other people putting their hands up and saying, you know, in in everything in my life, um, I'm feeling that there are things that are holding me back from opportunities that maybe I'd like to pursue or that uh, they're not visible to me. And so, you know, those are hard things to listen to. And I think particularly if you're a sport that prides yourself in doing all of these things, you know, you have to sort of stop, put, push the pause button and say, are we in any way stopping anyone from coming into this sport unintentionally? I've never seen anyone intentionally do it, but are there unintentional things that we are doing right now? And that's where we decided to, to, to push the pause button and bring in people. Um, and when I say diversity, we had people from our wheelchair curling programs and people from uh, our LGBTQ plus. Um, we had people uh, that played at the community level and in the clubs. We had national team athletes. Um, we had, uh, you know, curlers. We had black curlers. Um, we had, you know, we just had our Asian curlers. We had a whole bunch of people. And the whole idea was um, um, a couple things. First of all, what we really didn't want to do is just start you know, checking boxes and, 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 and going, yep, all right, you know, we'll, we'll get on that, is to really not just listen to, um, um, you know, it was kind of what, not what they wanted out of the sport is, you know, what, what could we be doing better? Who were we missing? What are the things that we should be thinking about? Where could we rethink how we approach, uh, you know, new, new Canadians or people new to the sport? And also, uh, you know, a really important part of that to us was, um, and what's your experience been? You know, how are you as somebody that maybe doesn't look like what people imagine the typical curler to look like? Um, you know, what, what has been your experience and, and where are places that are difficult in the whole experience of curling? 
And I can give you, you know, I can give you examples of those sorts of things. But um, uh, really, what we wanted was a pretty profound conversation at the beginning, rather than, you know, sort of taking statistics and developing marketing plans. It was to say, you know, maybe we need a bit of therapy. You know, maybe we're delusional and think that we, you know, we're so welcoming, and maybe we're not. And part of it was to take people that we. Um, that many of them put their hand up and said, I'd love to talk to you about that. And they told us some stories and, and some of those stories were disturbing to us. Those were some great discussions for us. Uh, I really enjoyed having all of those. A- another thing that I enjoyed this year was the first big series that I guess we tried to do on the show. We did that in the summer where we went decade by decade talking about the players of each decade. And it was fun for us to go back, especially the decades that we hadn't seen ourselves the 70s, certainly, Scott and I, neither of us were born at that point. The 80s, I don't have much memory of the 80s at all. So it was, it was fun to go back. But there was one player who really stood out to us in the 2000s who was incredibly dominant, a player who might not be first that comes to mind when you think of dominance in the early 2000s. But Annette Norberg had herself quite a run. And there was a remarkable factoid about Annette Norberg that blew my mind as we were putting together this show of the greatest players of the 2000s. And this time it's Annette Norberg. Yeah. Uh, Euro champ in 01, 02, 03, 04, 05, and 07. Sorry, 2006. <laughs> A silver in 2008, two-time world champ in 05 and 06. A silver medal at the Worlds in 2001, 2009. Also... At the Olympics, won gold in 2006 and 2010. How's that for a decade? That's not too bad. Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> How's she only number two? <laughs> right, yeah. Like after reading all that. Yeah. Sweet. So like Swedish curling, like we talked about, is sort of unfair. Unfairly good. And then you have the Norberg years. And now we're experiencing the Hasselberg years. Just amazing, amazing team and amazing player to be that good for that long yeah. uh, on the world stage. Yeah, no question. Just a dominant run for Annette Nordberg. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's incredible to think about how good she is. And I mean, she won another world championship in 2011, uh, just continuing that run that started, like, just dominant, just an absolute dominant run for Annette Nordberg. And that's the only word that I can really think of to describe her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just show up to world championships and win. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, it's weird too. So she was inducted into the Swedish Curling Hall of Fame. Scott, when do you think she was inducted into the Swedish Curling Hall of Fame? Um, well, I would guess maybe like mid-teens, but probably she was inducted before that. She was inducted into the Swedish Curling Hall of Fame in 1989. <laughs> wow. After the silver medal at the Olympics in Calgary that... Uh, that silver that she got when it was a demonstration sport. Mm-hmm. That's when she got into the Hall of Fame. She had represented Sweden at the World Championship in 88 and 89, then again in 91. Then she takes a break from the international level of curling. But So she's doing all this in the aughts, already in Sweden's Curling Hall of Fame, in for so long that her photo is probably pretty dusty. Uh, and then she's going on this run. Uh, she's uh, She did get inducted this year, her and her teammates from the Olympics, into the World Curling Federation Hall of Fame. Probably a little mm-hmm. late on that one, WCF. 
Maybe a bit. Yeah. yeah. And one of the things we talk about on the show somewhat frequently is the idea of how television can influence our perception of the players. The idea of the players as almost TV characters when we're watching their games. Another thing that comes up a lot is social media and the interaction that you can have on social media. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's very bad. So we had two very interesting discussions, very enlightening discussions for me over the course of the year on these issues. Uh, first up, we have Kirk Myers, who joined us to talk about this idea of players as TV characters. As someone who had been on TV a whole bunch, we wanted to talk to Kirk about how much he feels TV reflects the true person. So you watch a game for three hours, you can hear a player for a lot of that time as they are mic'd up, but how much does that setting, does that reflect who that individual is in their everyday life? Is it an accurate reflect? We wanted to talk to Kirk about that, and he made some really great points about how television games can be perceived and how fans can make conclusions about people that might not necessarily be fair. Uh, we also had the opportunity to talk with Nevin Demiliano, who runs the social media account for Team Botcher, about the campaigns that he put forth, the idea of authenticity in social media and trying to keep out certain negativity, negative voices, the trolling that you see online and creating a community of sorts online for curling teams and curling fans to have positive levels of engagement. So here are just a couple snippets of what I felt were very informative and enlightening discussions with Kirk Myers and Nevin Demiliano. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't, um, I would say generally speaking, I don't think you get a really good sense of it. Uh, you know, it's like curling, like you said, is so intimate that we can, we can like hear you talk. We, we can like start to develop, develop your personality in our mind, but that's that like persona you see on TV Plus, you're only seeing 50% of that communication. And it's almost like when you when you have a celebrity and you see him on TV and you see him in the media, you think you know this person, but you really don't because you're just seeing this persona that you see on TV that's being portrayed to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's being portrayed to you by, first of all, the producers. And then second of all, it's these athletes in the absolutely heat of the moment, how they're how they're kind of going about their business. And, you know, you see it a lot, you know, I think with with women's teams, it's like, well, that, that woman isn't a very nice person. Well, she's just competitive. She's a great person, great person. And just because she's competitive, it's for some reason that the masses think that she's not a nice person. Right. And I, I find that, especially on the women's side, it just blows my mind that that's, that's still how, it, how, how people perceive that. And then it, mm -hmm. on the men's side, it's okay when a man is angry or in the zone. But for a woman, that's not a, or a woman, that's not okay. And I think that's something that really needs to change kind of moving forward, but I don't think you actually get a true sense of the person by watching them on TV. Yeah. I think we call that Jennifer Jones syndrome, actually. <laughs> the competitive yeah, woman who's just, criticized for being competitive. Yeah. And it blows my mind. It's unbelievable in my opinion, but that it is that she's, she's the goat. She's the best ever. Mm -hmm. um, she's competitive. She's yeah. focused. And then people draw conclusions based on that. And I mean, I don't know Jennifer well, but I've met her a few times and obviously talked to her over the years. She's one of the most amazing people you're ever going to meet. And mm -hmm. so it, it just doesn't portray that way on TV and people draw their conclusions unfairing. Yeah, it's a good question. And it's a it's an interesting conversation to have. And I'm, I'm not sure I know exactly like right the, what the right formula is for all that. But I can tell you like uh, we've se what we've seen with like just creative people online, like um, it really doesn't take like a, a paid team or a paid social media manager 
to, to get results. Uh, it takes like, especially with, with curlers, it's, it's, they really want that authenticity and things like that. And, and, uh, any player can get that. Any player can kind of create, uh, some tactics to be able to achieve that. And I think that you can still get the same results and you don't need like a fancy logo or a bunch of branding, um, because that doesn't really make it feel authentic. It makes you feel like, well, the team's not running it. So I'm not talking to the team and, and that's nothing that, so if you manage it as part of the team and that's part of your duties, like, like, first of all, that's hard. So good job. And, and growth doesn't have to be the main like thing. You don't have to have 10,000 followers. Like when I took over team botcher, it was 1000. And, and I don't even know, sometimes I put a tweet out there. No one would even respond. So that's okay. Um, it's, it's just about like experimenting and seeing what works and having a little fun. And, and, uh, I think curling fans are, are, are willing to, to kind of give you their support, uh, no matter what, if, especially if you're trying something new. I think we've seen even big team accounts have, have tried new things and curling fans will respond. Yeah. Sort of like I alluded to, like uh, teams that get out of here's our score from today. And here's our thanks to our sponsor. And that's all they tweet out. Like getting away from that is, is great and having more things. And even if it doesn't work, as you say, like, so what, at least you tried something different, but you also mentioned the word authentic. And it's interesting to me to think of authenticity in terms of an account when you're running it with the voice of those four guys as the, the, the guys who are playing. So how, how do you find a voice that is authentic when you're not them, you're not the one out there competing. What, what is that conversation like? And what is that challenge like? Yeah, that's, it's really hard. Um, yeah, it's really hard. Cause you can, you can see it from both sides. Cause I'm a curling fan too. And I want to know kind of who's posting on behalf of wh- whether it's a brand or, or whatever. Um, but um, I think the nice thing for me is, is I'm so closely connected with the team that like, like I said, I pass along a lot of these message and sentiments to them. And, and like, we talk about this stuff and, and we go, you know, like that was so good when we talked about that, like, or, or like, if it's the trains thing, like, oh, it's been so amazing that people can all feel a part of this because they just have to find a train gif. (laughs) Like it's, it's, (laughs) it, it really is just, um, uh, it's not like the brand, like one tweet I always, or one saying I always remember being told is, uh, brands don't tweet people do. And it's just so true. It's just. I'm the person behind the account, but I also feel like so connected with the team that um, it, it really, I do try to, to make it as authentic as possible. Obviously it would never be as authentic as like having Darren run the account. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, we, we do our best. <laughs> and finally, one of my favorite moments of the year came on Scotty's championship Sunday. We were talking during our live stream, which we did following every afternoon draw of the Scotties, Briar, and Canadian Olympic curling trials. It was a lot of fun to do those. We'll see what we do in 2022. I'm sure we'll do some over the course of the year. And this struck me as we were talking on Scotty's Championship Sunday, a tick that happens in curling. Scott has talked before about certain terms that he wants out of the sport that are way overused, things like a hair. Oh, it's just a hair high. And having watched the semifinal of the Scotties, something struck me as well. The other is, Russ is worse at this, but Vic's done it a couple of times, saying the word unbelievable. Oh, that's an unbelievable shot. Uh, to paraphrase the great Mr. OOC, 
it's curlers making curling shots. It's very believable what's happening. <laughs> like, like it's not a good descriptor. I very much believe what I'm seeing. So yes. I just want to throw that out there that we can eliminate those things. From <laughs> the curling right. vernacular. It is noted, Sean. It is noted. Yeah. Yes, I think everything in tonight's game will be believable. The only thing that would be unbelievable about tonight's game is if what, like a streaker goes across the ice or something like that. That would be unbelievable because there's nobody in the stands. Yeah. So there you have it. Our favorite moments of 2021. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening, not only today, but over the course of the year. Uh, we really appreciate you welcoming us into your homes, to your cars, to your earbuds, wherever it is you are listening to us. We always appreciate it and hope that we can provide something entertaining and informative and whether it's to give you a distraction from real life for a while or, or to get you set for the next event or to recap games, whatever it is, we are just so grateful to have you all out there with us. So we wish you all the best heading into 2022. We wish you a safe, a healthy, and a happy new year. Because that will do it for us in 2021. But we will be back, of course, with new stuff in 2022. So if you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show. Wherever it is you get your podcast, do likes, rating, comments. All that good stuff helps us keep the show growing. And, of course, head on over to GameOfStonesPod.com. You can find all of our past episodes, including all of the episodes from which I took these clips today. And, of course, we do have the merch tab with all proceeds from t-shirt sales going to Food Banks Canada, everything else proceeds are going to the Sandra Schmirler Foundation. We are matching those. And if you join us next week, we will have an update on the total amount donated to those organizations as we come to the end of another year. Of course, if you want to let us know what you want to hear on the show, Game of Stones podcast at gmail.com, or you can follow along on social media at Game of Stones pod on Instagram and on Twitter. So that's it, everybody. Thank you again for listening. Have a safe new year, a responsible new year. If you are consuming those adult beverages, I want everyone to get home safe and have a healthy, happy entry to 2022. And we will talk to you once we are in the new year, but until then, keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.